Then I have a candy drawer at our house, a to be specific, a chocolate drawer, and that's my marriage advice. Get a chocolate drawer your kids can't reach. Um, <laughs> it's great. So today we are going to be talking about Thomas, and he, you all know him, he's doubting Thomas. Um, so I'm going to give a really fast introduction to Thomas. So uh, we don't actually know that his name was Thomas. Uh, because the Aramaic word that we translate into Thomas just means the twin. Um, and there is speculation that it, it's not his real name, that it is a nickname. And I feel really bad for Tom because I've had some really bad nicknames. My mom has the, she thinks it's sweet and endearing, but it's the worst nickname. And I hope in 2,000 years, people aren't calling me by that nickname. Um, Anthony said a few weeks ago that it, this nickname might have referred to the fact that he looked like Jesus, and I was like, you could have told me that information and let me be the one to reveal that when I was speaking about him, but stole my thunder. So we know that he, we call him Thomas. We know him because of his doubt, but we actually see another story of Thomas where he's actually very brave, and that is in John, and Jesus is going to Bethany, which is a town outside of Jerusalem, and he's going to see his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and his disciples are, are asking him to not go. They know that the, lead, the religious leaders in Jerusalem are seeking ways to hurt Jesus, but Jesus already knows that he's going to be crucified. He knows that there's no way around that, so he goes, um, he, he goes to visit his friends, and Thomas tells the rest of the disciples, um, he says, let us go also that we may die with him. And that's in John 11. And poor Tom, he has this moment, he's like, I'll die with Jesus, and we only remember him for his doubt. Um, and in fact, in the Catholic Church, Thomas is the patron saint of the blind, because of his spiritual blindness. <sighs> Poor Tom. I, I just felt really bad for Tom the whole time I was, and I call him Tom like we're buddies. Um, <laughs> so let's read in John 20, uh, Thomas's most famous moment. Uh, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands, the, in his hands the marks of the nails and place my fingers into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And so eight days later, the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And so um, one thing I find very interesting is it doesn't say that Thomas actually needed to touch Jesus's wounds. And that's good because it's really gross. Um, and we all have that one friend who wants to like poke and squeeze wounds, Ladina. Um, 
I asked Ladina before I called her out on stage about that weird thing that she does. Uh, she said it was okay. So I think it's really gross. I don't want to touch wounds. Um, there's a video. It was really popular like five years ago, and it showed Jesus with these holes in his hand, and just thinking about it makes me want to vomit, and I really hope that Jesus' wounds like are healed over when we get to heaven, because that's really gross. I'm sorry. It freaks me out that Thomas was like, I need to touch the wounds. Like, gross, Tom. Don't be a weirdo. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Totally off track. Okay. But what is actually interesting about that is that Jesus does not rebuke Thomas. He doesn't come and he doesn't say, Tom, you really suck because you didn't believe. And let's remember that the disciples, the other disciples, they didn't believe either. And in fact, when Mary Magdalene goes and tells them that she's seen Jesus, Jesus has been raised, the other disciples don't believe her. And... Um, it actually says that they didn't understand that Jesus would be raised. So Tom is not the only one to doubt. They all doubted. And when Jesus first shows up to them, they're hiding. And they're probably doubting how they spent the last three years of their life. They're probably doubting, like, I shouldn't have left my family business. That's three years of work that I'm never going to get back. Or I... I've cut all my business connections with Rome. I can't go back to being a tax collector. What am I going to do? And they all doubted. Thomas is just the example that is very verbal. I'm not going to believe unless I see it myself. And so Jesus appears to them. He appears to Thomas. He hangs out for a few more days, and then he ascends into heaven, and then we have Pentecost. And we know that during Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. He filled the disciples. And really, that kick-started the mission and the vision that Jesus said, go into all the nations and make disciples. So um, we know a lot about Thomas from something called the Acts of Thomas. And this is a book that was written, and um, the sources that I read, they said that the stories are true, but they're kind of exaggerated. Um, so I'm going to read an excerpt from this book, and some of it is interesting. So according to the Acts of Thomas, the apostles divided up the world for their missionary labors, and India fell to Thomas. However, Thomas claimed he was not healthy enough and that a Hebrew could not teach Indians. Even a vision of Christ could not change his mind. Um, and then, oh, that's not what I wanted. Christ then appeared to a merchant and sold Thomas to him as a slave for his master, a king who ruled over a part of India. And then one story suggests that Thomas offered to build a palace for the Indian king that would last forever. The king gave him money, which Thomas then gave to the poor. And when asked to show his progress, St. Thomas explained that the palace he was building was in heaven and not on earth. And ultimately, after giving in to God's will, Thomas was freed from slavery. He planted seeds for the new church, forming many parishes and building many churches along the way. Um, and so it's believed that 
Thomas started about seven churches in India. And of course that wasn't like he came into town and built a building like this, but he, he went into communities and preached the gospel and then that area formed a church. So uh, seven churches in India and modern day Pakistan. And there are actually three church communities today that attribute their founding to Thomas. And there are an estimated four million Christians in India that are Christians because of those seven churches that Thomas planted. And that was in 52 AD. So 1,696 years ago, Thomas went to India, and now today there are an estimated four million believers just because of him. So, um, so we see Thomas have a lot of doubt. And so what, if we're not supposed to hold doubt and be doubtful, what is the opposite of that? And it would be faith. And um, I think in our society, we have a lot of different words for doubt these days. So when I read that excerpt from the Acts of Thomas, I was like, Tom just has anxiety, guys. He's just anxious. And I was actually really convicted of how, so I have anxiety, and how I use that to doubt. And I use that as an excuse to allow doubt into my life and to allow doubt to rule my life. And if you, if you have anxiety today, that's okay. You're not disqualified. And any doubt that manifests out of that does not disqualify you either. But we're not called to be anxious. We're not called to be full of doubt. We're called to have faith and to walk in that faith. So a really great example of faith is Abraham. And so Abraham, when we first meet him, he is a moon-worshipping pagan. And God shows up and God tells him, you need to go to this land. And I will tell you when you get there and you need to take your wife and your servants and your neighbor or, and your nephew and you just need to go. And Abraham does it. And it doesn't even, um, the Bible doesn't even say that Abraham thought about it for a minute. Abraham's like, okay, and he goes. And over and over again, we see Abraham have this crazy faith. Um, and God shows up and he tells him, you're going to be the father of a nation. And Abraham is old and has no children. And Abraham just believes and believes. And when God comes to him and he says, hey, you need to take this son that I've given you and you need to sacrifice him to me, Abraham does. And um, in... In Genesis, uh, Abraham and his son Isaac are going up the mountain to sacrifice Isaac. And Isaac asks him, uh, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And so did Abraham think that God would provide that ram? Did he already know that when he got up there somehow, there would be a sacrifice, or did he believe that God would raise Isaac from the dead? And we don't know, but Abraham did it. And um, we, we just see Abraham have this great 
faith. And we see Abraham go to God to intercede for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he does this just boldly. And he doesn't doubt that he can do this. He just goes before God and he intercedes. Um, but we have a lot of examples. We have more examples of people who doubt. And Moses is a great example of doubt. So Moses seems like the guy who shouldn't doubt God. Moses hung out on a mountain with God. Uh, Moses, Moses had a really amazing calling from God, uh, like Abraham, but Moses has this burning bush. He's talking to God. Um, God reveals himself to Moses in ways that he had never revealed himself before. And Moses is full of doubt. And so when God initially calls Moses, Moses gives him five excuses of why he's not the right guy, why he can't talk, he's not any good at this, he's too timid. And it actually says that God becomes angry with Moses over this doubt. And as he leads the nation of Israel, um, we see him just go to God and continue to doubt, why did you give me these people to lead? Um, but there's no reason that Moses should have, right? It's so easy to look at Moses and be like, well, if God showed up this way to me, I wouldn't doubt him, but we would because we're human just like Moses was. Um, and so I just keep skipping a whole bunch of stuff. I need to look at my notes. So God calls Moses, and Moses says, who am I that I should go and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God is literally talking out of a bush that's on fire, and it's not burning. And sometimes our doubt is so powerful that a vision of God isn't even enough. And Thomas actually says that. He says that not even a vision will change my mind. I am not going to India. And sitting here in our nice church in Salem, Oregon, it's so easy to be like, if God showed up in a vision, I would go to India. But would we? Would we? I mean, honestly, I wouldn't. India is too hot. There is not enough AC. I wouldn't go. And I would doubt, I would find ways to doubt the calling. And I think a lot of us doubt our calling because it's too hard or because we don't feel like we're good enough to do that. And honestly, when God calls me to do stuff, I complain a lot. I complain to him. I complain to other people. I complain to myself in my car. And that, that's just because I don't trust sometimes. I'm just, I just doubt, doubt, doubt. And then that makes me feel worse. And I'm like, well, why would you want me? Because I'm full of doubt. But in Hebrews 11, it talks about all of these great leaders in our faith. And so I went through it this week. And God, he brings up 16 uh, people or people groups. And in six of these stories, we see these people not have a lot of faith. And so um, it talks, first talks about Abraham, who does have amazing faith, but then it talks about Sarah. And Sarah, again, God is standing in her backyard saying, this time next year, your wife will have a baby. And Sarah laughs and is like, I'm an old woman. He's an old man. We're not having a baby. Nice joke, God. 
Um, and then Moses, full of doubt, doubts his calling continually as he leads the nation. Um, and then the Israelites are listed as they have this great faith, and that's what gets them through the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. But it seems like every other story about them is Moses did God lead us out here to die? Like, were there not enough graves in Egypt? And then when they get to the promised land and they see it's going to be kind of hard, they're like, no, we can't do that. This is not, God obviously hates us. And I know my husband and I, we talk all the time about how dumb Israel is, but I'm that dumb. <laughs> like, I, I really am. And so then it talks about Gideon, and Gideon also goes back and forth with the angel about he's not the one to lead Israel into this battle. And then God pr provides just this amazing victory, and then Gideon builds an idol and begins his whole clan turns to this idol after God has just delivered them from another nation through Israel. Um, Barak uh, he is a military leader, and the prophetess Deb Deborah comes to him, and she tells him, God is going to give you this victory, and he says, I will not go into battle unless you come with me, and she says, I will come with you, but God will give the victory to another person, and a woman just living her life is actually what wins that battle, and then Samson, I don't even have enough time to talk about Samson. Samson is off the rails. It seems like he has no faith. I couldn't really find anything specifically of doubt. There was just a lot there. Um, but then there is this story of Jephthah. And Jephthah is called to, again, lead the Israelites in battle against another nation. And he starts bartering with God. God, if you give me this battle, I will sacrifice the first thing I see when I get home. Or I will give you the first thing I see when I get home. And so he wins the battle, and his daughter comes out. And we don't actually, the Bible doesn't tell us if he sacrificed his daughter or what happened there. But bartering with God is a sign of doubt. You don't barter with God because you have enormous faith. Um, all of these people doubted, but they're listed as heroes of our faith. They're listed as faithful people, and that is because doubt does not disqualify us. Um, each, each week, Anthony has talked about how, that, how God, he doesn't give the whole picture. So we don't know how he called Thomas, but we can guarantee that he didn't sit Thomas down with a little PowerPoint of, okay, so here's the three-year plan, and then here's the, you know, the 50-year plan, and then here's the 1,696-year plan. He doesn't do that. He just says, follow me. And I think that maybe if God or Jesus had just given Thomas, hey, when you go to India, it is going to affect this many generations, this many people. If there's 4 million living Indians who are saved because of Thomas, think of over the last 1,500 years, how many people are, are in heaven who know Jesus because Thomas went to India. But God doesn't give us the numbers. He doesn't give us the spreadsheets. And even if he did, we might not, we still might not go. And um, can you show that picture of that church? 
So there, this is a church in India. Um, it was not built by Thomas. Um, but this church was actually built, um, well, the church itself was first in a abandoned temple thousand, uh, thousand years ago. And then they built a regular church around the temple and then I believe it burnt down and then they built this structure. But this community of believers traces their roots to Thomas. And they, um, the caption said that this cross in this picture was founded by Thomas but we don't know. And then there's one more picture. And so this is the same site. And so that is a statue of Thomas. And he's holding a spear. And according to church tradition, uh, he was killed with spears. He was run through. And so, again, I just feel really bad for Tom. We only remember him for doubting. And then we build statues of him with the instrument of his death. And we only know him by a nickname. So... <laughs> Poor Tom. Um, so, why did Jesus pick this guy? Um, and we, we don't know how he met him. We don't know what he did. But all we see is this doubt. Um, this timid, reluctant guy. Um, but God had a plan. And God had generations of people that he wanted to know him. And Tom was the guy. Tom was the guy to do it. Um, and we know that he resisted. And I'm going to bet he had a bad attitude. Um, I'm going to bet that that boat ride into India was rough. And that Tom was not really being the light. But Tom got to India. And he did what God called him. Um, so does anyone else struggle with doubt? Am I, am I just sitting in a room of people who are so full of faith, which is great. That'd be awesome. But I, I think all of us in some way struggle with doubt. And literally this week I got called out on my doubt. Um, and God knows that I'm full of doubt. And the thing about doubt is that it doesn't just stay in one spot. Like, it's not just like, oh, I doubt this. It literally seeps into everything. And so when I was thinking, because I wasn't called out on my doubt of God this week, but I was called out on my doubt. And when I was thinking about it, all I could trace it back to was, do I believe that God loves me? And I don't. And it's not that I don't believe that God is love. It's believe, it's, I, I believe that God loves Ladina. I believe that God loves my husband. I believe that God loves each and every one of you. And that verse that says every good and perfect thing is a gift from above, I believe that for you. And I believe that for my neighbor. And I believe that for the really shy grocery clerk that I want to be friends with. But I don't, I don't internalize that belief for me. And that every good and perfect thing is something that I have to work for. But here's the thing. When I work for it, I never get it. And in fact, I push it away when I work for it. No, I don't. It's not a gift. It's a, it's a wage 
but it's a wage that I will never get on my own. And um, this last week, I was anxious and doubtful and a raging ball of insecurity. And at the end of the week, instead of just collapsing into God's arms and saying, like, oh, my gosh, I need you, I was like, I suck, and why would God choose me to preach about doubt? Um, so what, what do you doubt? And maybe you're like me and you don't, um, consciously doubt God. Maybe you doubt relationships. Maybe you doubt your ability to do your job. Maybe you doubt your calling. Um, or maybe God is asking you to do something hard and you are doubting it. I'm not the right person. I, I can't do that. Send someone else. But God is faithful. And, and God's not faithful like humans are faithful because God is holy. So God's faithfulness is something that we cannot comprehend because it's holy faithfulness. And Jesus knew that Thomas would doubt. When he called Thomas, he knew that Thomas would doubt that he was risen, would doubt the eventual calling on his life. But Jesus also knew that Thomas would be the guy to say, hey, let's go so we can die with him. He knew that eventually Thomas would be in India and he would be proclaiming the gospel. He knew Thomas's real name too. I think that eventually Thomas did surrender his doubt. Um, there is a legend of Thomas when he arrives in India, and I don't necessarily know that this is true. It, the, the source that I read said that it was a legend. But even if it's not actually true, I think it represents that Thomas gave his doubt to God. So it says that Thomas arrives in India at that site. Can you put the picture with the statue? It, it says that he arrives in this site and he sees the Hindu Brahmins and they are, um, they're not sacrificing, but they're worshiping their God. And what they're doing is they're taking the water in their hands and they're throwing it up to a sun God. And the water, because of gravity, is falling back down. And in a scene that is reminiscent of Elijah challenging the, um, the Baal priests, he says, your God is not accepting your sacrifice, and that's why the water keeps falling down. But my God, if I throw this water up, it will not come back down to the ground. And so the legend says that he picks up the water and he throws it up, and the legend says that the water suspended in the air, that it didn't fall back down. And I don't know if that's true. I don't, I don't even think it's important if it's true. I think that at some point, Thomas got to India, and he was bold, and he was faithful, and he knew that God was going to do the heavy lifting. Because that's where doubt comes from, is... We're, we know what we can do. 
I know I can't throw water in the air and have it suspend, but it's not about what I can do. It's about what God can do. And the disciples knew that they couldn't raise Jesus' body from the dead, so they didn't believe it could happen. But God could raise Jesus' body from the dead. It was never about what the disciples could do. Um, if the worship team wants to come back on. And so Thomas joins this list of these people in Hebrews 11, this great cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on. But so many of those people were filled with doubt. And there's one key piece to Thomas's story is that eventually Thomas went to India. And like I said, I don't think that that boat ride to India was fun. I think that Thomas probably wrestled with God. I don't want to do this. A Hebrew cannot teach Indians. But he still went. And the only way that we can walk in faith is to walk. Um, the proverb that tells us your word is a lamp unto my feet, it doesn't say it's a giant spotlight. It's a lamp. Lamps only illuminate a little bit. We're not, we don't get to know, but we're called to go. We're called to walk. And Jesus doesn't, he doesn't berate Thomas. What he says, I'm going to go back. Um, he says, you have believed because you have seen me, but blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. That's you. That's me. We haven't seen Jesus. And if you have, I want to hear that story. We, Jesus has not showed up in a locked room. And really, that would be awesome if he could show up right now and talk to us. But we still believe. And that's faith. And it talks about a mustard seed of faith. So, if you're struggling with doubt, like I said earlier, cling to that love. Have that mustard seed that God loves you and that you were made because he loves you. You were made to be loved. And if that's, if that's all the faith that you can have to take that first step, then take that first step. If you are wrestling with something from God, if you think God is calling you to something, take that first step. Because faith comes when we walk in it. So, doubt does not disqualify you. And God loves you. So just take that step. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you that you chose imperfect people and that you never disqualified them. And in fact, Lord, you sent us the Holy Spirit, our helper, to actually empower us to do what you call us to do. And Lord God, I just ask that as we go into this week and as doubts, as anxieties arise, Lord, that we 
we would cling to your love and that that love would push us into faith. And Lord God, I ask for people who are struggling, who are wrestling against decisions or callings or identities, Lord God, that they, their minds would be cleared and that they would have the faith to take the first step and the next step. And Lord God, we love you in your name. shine you win it. 
Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Sing it out again. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Every year I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs. Awesome. That was an amazing message that God gave to Paula. And I just want to encourage you guys as we leave here, let's face those doubts. Let's walk through those hard times so that we can even grow closer to God. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next week weekend. Um, have a good week. <laughs>